0: Before we begin, just to let you guys know, our artwork was designed by Nickel Anarchy and music by Scott Holmes from Free Music Archive. Warning, this podcast does contain spoilers for the Ryordian Verse series. everyone and welcome back to the Best Damn Camp podcast, a verse read-along podcast that sets out to read all the books by Rick Riordan in timeline order. I'm your host Fran and welcome back to the show. Before I start though, I feel you may realise that there is something changed about my intro and the starting bit before before the music. And that's the fact that I now know how to actually pronounce Uncle Rick's last name. Because dyslexia is evil. And <laughs> for about... How old am I? I'm... I'm. T- when, hold on. I'll do maths one sec. 19, 18, 20, 21, 22, 23. Okay. For seven years... I've been pronouncing Rick Riordan as Rick Riordian, with an extra I. I don't know where that extra I came from or, or how I managed to give him an extra I. So I would like to thank the Tumblr Anon who incredibly politely and I am eternally grateful for it for pointing out the fact that I was spelling Rick's last name wrong and pronouncing it wrong um which I am very embarrassed about and it's gonna be it's there in my last two episodes you guys know but I will be improving it and hopefully I don't sit back into old habits but if I do please let me know but be kind because I'm I am incredibly sensitive and I will cry but let's carry on so yes thank you to the person who let me know I was pronouncing Uncle Rick's last name wrong. Uh, true blasphemy on my part. Um, don't worry, I've atoned for my sins with... Uh, well, I haven't atoned for them yet. I will. I will atone for my sins. I, I've i got to... Oh, okay, let's move on because was going to get super dark. Right, okay. <laughs> so today we are continuing our Ryordan. Let's see what I did? Ryorden vs Journey with the story of Luke Castilian who goes on to play shall we say, a very important role in the Percy Jackson series. I don't know what happened to my voice there, but we're gonna move on. Now having this story which is a part of the Demigod Files stories, particularly the actual very first one in that collection of stories, having that before The Lightning Thief which we will be starting next week. I think it's an interesting choice in terms of the timeline, as it kind of gives us more context to Luke as a character, and kind of really helps us understand him a little bit more, especially considering what he goes on to be in the series as a whole. So with that said, what I'm looking at today is character, as well as narrative. But before we properly begin, let's get our synopsis. Luke Castilian, the fourteen-year-old son of Hermes, who fled home at age nine, adventures into a dangerous situation with best friend Talia Grace, daughter of Zeus, where they learn the true consequences of demigod life, and meet a being that changes their view of the world as they know it. Oh, and uh, watch out for hammers, mate. Okay, so, synopsis out the way, I've just gotta say the story of Luke, oof, like seriously, this story is intense and it hits hard. Like, Luke as a young demigod, so in the book he has, he's, he has, he is about 14 years old in this story, but when we meet him in The Lightning Thief, I believe he's about 19, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, please and thank you. Um. And at this point, when we are meeting him, so he's still hardened by his life on the run. He's already been on the streets for about five years um, and with more to go, as we learn in the Lightning Thief and the um, follow-up books also. Even with those five years and him being 49 and having someone with him like Talia, we see his bitterness at the gods and his frustration. But he does still have love in his heart. Very much so for Talia Grace also, which is a ship that I can't be getting too much into because I don't want to start shipping wars here. But it's one that I wasn't actually expecting. I know it's out there. I've just never been too aware of it as like in the actual book series itself, we don't actually see any interaction between Talia and Luke. So to see this possibility of kind of what could have been in this mini-story, is it's pretty cool. But to see him so young, confused, and caring in such a way about the people around him is really fascinating, as in terms of the timeline and um, that we're going through, obviously we started with Greek gods and Greek heroes. This is our first experience of a modern demigod. But... The struggles they face in this story and from what we hear of their journeys, we begin to empathise with both Luke and Talia and empathise with their struggles and in terms of where Luke goes in the series as a whole. We kind of wonder what could have been if if things were different for him and what future did our have? we meet in this story see for him that leads to a crossroads and what was those crossroads now let's get into the main story and of course i do mention this at the start but there will be spoilers for the whole percy jackson universe and a little bit of heroes of olympus in this in this discussion predominantly especially with this being about luke castilian who plays a really important role in percy jackson also because we have Talia Grace in this story, there's an important aspect for her also that relates to Heroes of Olympus. But I'll get onto that when I get into the main narrative of the story. But what I want to start with first actually is the story ish that we get before Luke Castilian, which is entitled Letter to the Demigods. And this is from a senior scribe of Camp Halfblood. Uncle Rick himself, who has been asked by campers who are there now, and this is set after Heroes of Olympus, but obviously the story is before everything with Percy Jackson, etc. He's been being asked by campers, and just campers in general, are asking about Luke Castilian and what happened, who he was. But Annabeth and Talia don't want to tell that story because it's something that's personal to them and it's, it's still hurts even now that this person that they loved and grew up with changed and you know unfortunately also dies in the end but rick decides that he thinks it's important that people know where luke came from and what led to him becoming who he is and who what he is known for and so we begin with luke's story just because everyone wants to wishes to know about him, and it is time to share his story, as it's sort of almost a cautionary tale now. And we get an idea as to what went wrong, for as Rick calls him, such a promising demigod. And then we go on to the story. And it is the story of Luke before Camp Half-Blood, And seemingly before meeting Annabeth also although we start with sort of him at the end and him retelling the story of their day in a diary that he's been given by the old man who originally I do assume may have been Hermes just because the word old man like or oh my old man or the old man is usually you use as sort of like a not like a uh, is it a term of endearment I guess it kind of is, but it's like a term of endearment for a father or a a grandfather. So, hence my assuming that it may have been Hermes that gave Luke this diary. But as we find out later on, it it wasn't Hermes, it was someone else. But I'll get onto that when we get to that point. Now, he begins to tell the story about him and Talia's journey. uh, Definitely just before they met Annabeth, just because uh, Annabeth isn't with them. Um, We learn, oh oh my god, so I I mentioned this in the synopsis, but I do need to bring this up. He ran away when he was nine years old. Like, I had no idea he was that young, like, at all. I don't know why, because I feel like it was brought up in the books at some point, but for some reason I just kind of forgot. Which makes sense, because I feel like it's been a while since I've read them, but maybe it isn't mentioned We'll see when I get into the book itself, but like, he was nine. Like, that's just so young. And Talia, I think, was possibly around the same age, but they've been travelling together for a good period of time now, uh, having met when um, they were battling a dragon. Um, You know, everyday demigod life. Now, where the story begins is with Zeus and Luke following this. Spiritual goat, spirit goat. I I don't really know what it is, but the goat is called um, um oh okay a- Amalthea, Amalthea, we'll go with Amalthea, who is meant to be a messenger of Zeus, who's obviously Talia's father. And they're following this goat because usually is it wait no it wasn't a goat was it It was like a ram or something. I don't know. My notes aren't as detailed as they should be. Clearly. But they're following Amalthea because, as Talia mentioned to Luke, Amalthea was the person, the being, that led her to Luke. So she's good luck, which, you know, gets him all flustered and uh, kind of all blushy and all that sort of stuff. Which, by the way, more hints of a romance with Talia, which, interesting, interesting. Because um, his literal words were, he would do anything for her because of those eyes. And that is for a moment that happens later on, but like, clearly, he would do anything for her. Now, what is also interesting, so they're discussing following Amalthea and kind of avoiding trying to make eye contact with mortals and so on and so forth. Luke actually mentions that he used to have mortal friends. Whenever he would end up in certain areas for a period of time, he would become friends with a local and they would get on really well until he told them the truth that he was a son of hermes and that monsters were coming and he was always in danger and they'd always just assume that it was some kind of game he was playing and would be like man i wish that i was a demigod or a son of hermes or something like that which it's kind of oh no the fandom are the mortals we're the people that luke oh no oh uh, yeah we are 100% the mortals that Luke oh imagine if the demigods are real and Luke actually met people who knew about the books I don't know what I'm talking about now this doesn't make any sense sorry I'll move on Um, yeah so he he gets upset that they don't understand and then he leaves and he does it a few times until eventually he does decides to give up on mortals which kind of makes sense considering what we know about his opinion of mortals later in the books. Like, he, he basically despises and sees them as lesser than him. Hence why he then makes backbiter so he can kill both demigods, monsters, and mortals at the same time. Which, you know, that's messed up. <laughs> um, And then she continues to talk about various different things. She being Talia, of course. And it even mentions the story of Kronos, which interesting that he knows the story um and then we learn a little bit more about Luke as a whole and we just see his complete and utter resentment and bitterness towards Hermes which isn't as strong as we know it in the Percy Jackson series but it's like a blooming hatred which no fair enough considering he's been on the run for five years by being a demigod Currently, we don't know anything about his mother. We don't even know her name at this point, which is kind of sad that we don't really know anything about her other than Luke blames Hermes for what happened to his mother. Um, Not that we know what happened to her yet, um, in this current story at least. Um, But what is interesting is that when Amalthea direct Talia and Luke to a house nearby for them to... Check out. We learned that actually, and this is something that I thought was really, really interesting because it has not been explored in the Percy Jackson series as a whole. Children of Hermes can occasionally have abilities, and in Luke's case, it's the ability to sense locking mechanisms and like booby traps and stuff like that, and like unlock locks by placing his hand and focusing on it to unlock like a door lock which is what they do on this creepy sort of house in Richmond because kids are stupid no I'm joking (laughs) oh god I just realized that a lot of people listening are going to be kids I'm really sorry guys I don't uh, that was mean that was mean I won't do that again (laughs) no so they get inside this house and instantly the door closes and locks and Luke's powers no longer work the drapes are evil eating human being thieves. and basically turn to sl- you touch them they turn to sludge they pull you in and they try to eat you which um slightly terrifying because now I'm a little bit nervous about curtains because who knows if monsters are actually real my curtains could be evil and considering they actually would have a lot of things to hate about me I've broken them quite a few times because um I'm, I'm a clumsy bugger <laughs> I don't even know how I've managed to break them. Like, I've managed to break them three or four times. Like, I can still see that, like, the plaster of where we've had to replaster the wall from where it got ripped out. I just managed to sit on them quite a lot. Um, I haven't recently, just because we made the smart decision of getting me shorter curtains um, because I was an idiot and continued to keep sitting on them. Uh, I think I have pulled the short ones down by accident, just because I, like, slipped and just grabbed onto it automatically, so not technically my fault. I'm getting a bit off topic here. Okay, let's focus back. Let's, let's focus back. Focused. Okay, so they are in the house, the drapes are evil, and then they see two ghastly, glubby, red eyes, and, as everyone knows, red equals evil. So, well, all all green, in terms of Disney. That doesn't really matter in this case. Or Disney High... Stop Fran! Oh my god. Okay. Glowing red eyes. Hear a creepy voice. But hear someone yelling, come find me, and like giving them directions to where to go to escape these creatures that are chasing them. And then they stumble into this room, the door behind them locks and they hear some scraping. And this is where they come across, I don't know how to say his name, Halkyon or Halkun, I may say Halkun, I think that's probably right. Halcon Green, who, as we learn later, is d- dressed in a full skin, a snake skin suit, given to him by his father Apollo. The reason why it's a snake skin suit is because of Python, the original oracle of Delphi, and Halcon, or Hal, as he likes to be called does de does have the power of prophecy, but he used it incorrectly. He gave someone knowledge to save their life, which he was punished for, because mortals should not be able to decide when they're going to die because they know the answer to it. Telling the future always have always has consequences. And this was not a story to tell. This was like the worst demigod for Luke, Luke to me, like ever. Because hearing the story of him being punished by his father, Apollo, for saving someone's life, just inflames Luke's anger and disgust at the gods. Which, totally fair, because they went a little bit far. Because this Hal guy has been locked up in this house, particularly his childhood home, for decades and decades like he has no idea how long he's been in there now it's been so long he's grown old he is trapped by these creatures called the lucrota i'm going to call them lucrota who are really creepy horrific monsters that they like mimic the voices of their victims sort of like cyclopses which is a bit foreshadowing from what we learn in sea of monsters um and they're, they're these, like, creepy sort of, like, wolf, horse, lion, dog-kind-like creatures that have, like, horse bones for teeth and make this sort of crack-crack-crack or clack-clack or something noise Um, when they kind of chitter. It sounds really creepy even reading it. It's just like, Ugh. um. And Hal is basically trapped in this place with these monsters who speak for him. He was basically His voice was taken from him and the only way he can speak is using a psychic link to these creatures who speak with his voice. And it's just horrifying and like you feel so bad for this guy. All he wanted to do was save this girl who was going to die in an accident so he told her... How to stop that from happening and he was punished for it like it's awful but what's even worse is that the only way for Hal to kind of get any sense of like life in a way is he has to basically agree and kind of cooperate with the Lacrota. otherwise he'll he'll starve without ever actually dying so he's allowed demigod companions that are able to, kind of, that, that actually fall into the trap. They're allowed to be with him for the day, and then they're eaten by the monsters in the evening. And the deal is that whatever they've left behind, so maybe like a chocolate bar or a sandwich in their bag, he gets to eat it. And that's the only way he gets some sustenance. And it's just horrific. Um, and justifiably, Talia and Luke are absolutely repulsed by what he does in the fact that he's kind of resigned to this now that he he is sort of like a monster himself which admittedly Luke says to him which he really shouldn't have because come on Luke it's a bit mean like you can see like he's devastated how Hal looks absolutely withdrawn and devastated and defeated it's just it's really quite sad but then we learn what is guiding these demigods to the house and it's a sense of a treasure there in this box that is unbreakable except for Luke a son of Hermes with breakable skills that doesn't sound right with breaking in skills there we go and so he's able to kind of fix that situation of getting through these booby traps and locks to get to what turns out to be a, a silver bracelet so not not too big of a deal apparently yet but as the story continues, we then see Luke get more frustrated and angry with Hal for his, his cowardice and for allowing the gods to basically walk all over him instead of fighting back. And he becomes really quite cruel, actually, in a moment. He regrets it almost instantly because he knows it's not Hal's fault that he's given up hope. Like, what does he have to hope for? There's nothing he can literally do. But he's just telling it like it is, which, you know, totally fair. But what we learn, however, is that the releasing of the treasure is apparently meant to be a sign that the person who has come to reclaim what is rightfully theirs is going to be the person who sets him free. And he has an idea as to what that being set free may mean. It can either be that he finally is set free of his curse, or that he finally dies. And at this point, both Luke and Talia are telling him to fight back, telling him to, to work through this, to figure out what they can do to save everyone, and save himself really. And eventually, Hal decides to be brave enough, and decides to look into the future to see if there's anything he can see that can help them figure out a way to escape. And so he reads Talia's future. And this is what it says. You are destined to survive today. Someday soon you will sacrifice yourself to save your friends. I see things that are hard to describe. Years of solitude. You will stand tall and still. Alive but sleeping. You will change once and then change again. Your path will be sad and lonely. But someday will find your family again. I'm sorry, I don't control what I see, but I didn't mean your mother. And okay, lot to unpack there and oh my god, this is what I love about Rick. He ties everything together in a story. There are things here that are foreshadowing what happens in the future. Considering this book comes out after all of Heroes of Olympus and Percy Jackson we're supposed to read that and be like ah oh, yes this is what it connects to this is what that means but in terms of the right orden verse timeline seeing this we kind of don't understand what it means and we don't understand the connection but we've got this foreshadowing here this foreshadowing of what is to come and when it does unfold and we hear these stories and we see each thing unfolding we're just going to remember this story and remember This mini-prophecy, mini-vision that Hal has of Talia's future. And remember, oh yes, he said she was going to change. She was going to stand tall but silent, sleeping. And then she's going to change again. And that is, I'm just going to say that, I'm not going to say specifically because I'm trying to not give too much away. I know it's meant to be slightly spoilery, but I don't want to do too much. All of that first bit of standing tall, changing and changing again... Is just the Percy Jackson and the Olympians. They're seeing her family again, but not her mother. Ears for Heroes of Olympus. And I'm not going to say specifically who, because some people will know, some people will not. I can't wait to bring it up myself when we get to Heroes of Olympus. So we've got a, we've got a long while, but we're going to get there, and I'm very excited for it. And then we get... Luke's prophecy. Luke's vision of the future. Fire. I saw fire. Hard to be sure. Luke, I also saw a sacrifice in your future. A choice, but also a betrayal. His path is hard to see, but if he survives today, he will betray. And it cuts off there. And it's just... it. Uncle Rick... Oh, I just love it. I, I think these are the things that I love about narrative and storytelling and story choices. To have this at the point where it is in terms of the timeline and have it reflect on the future, but even having it where it's originally meant to be, which is after Heroes of Olympus, and we get that sort of flashback and understanding of the future now, it's kind of even sadder in a way. We can see that Luke, in a way, was prophesies to fail and turn and these things it's kind of oh, this is what I find really interesting and they talk about this that knowing the future isn't worth isn't worth no it's not worth knowing it sets things in stone the moment he hears this prophecy his future is determined and it's just it's a really sad thing to think about but it's also just really fascinating as a whole And what's really interesting is that after that prophecy is told, I'm calling it a prophecy but it's not really a prophecy, it's more like a vision really, but after it's told and Talia is furious at what's being said about Luke, but the relationship between Hal and Luke changes, there's something different, they kind of understand each other a little bit more, and they do manage to figure out an escape plan using Greek fire. And this was the most interesting foreshadowing part that I found, which is it's incredibly subtle, but it's something that I will talk about now with spoilers, but also talk about when we get to it in future as well. Now, Luke finds the recipe for creating Greek fire. And that sort of thing isn't hard to forget. So in terms of Luke and the titan war and being the leader of the titan war and having that knowledge as to how to create greek fire it makes sense why their numbers were so powerful and why they just as a whole were an incredibly powerful force because they had something that was incredibly destructive that could basically win a fight with only just that one weapon and that is the uncontrollable force of greek fire which in this case helped them defeat the i've forgotten the the creature's names already the the lucrota it helps them defeat the lucrota but in a way that is devastating to both the house and to hal and this is where we see the relationship between hal and luke bond because the diary that luke is writing in is hal's diary And he gets Luke to promise him to to write in it. And his words are, You have an important future. Your choices will change the world. You can learn from my mistakes. Continue the diary. It might help with your decisions. And he finishes in a sense with Apollo was right. Sometimes the future really is better left a mystery. And I just love that. That That's basically the phrase I was trying to use earlier but I forgot it because my brain is a sieve. Um, but this relationship and this understanding of hopefully learning from Hal's mistakes, Luke will be able to pursue a better future. Like, Hal is basically trying to help Luke make the right decision. The unfortunate thing, as we see later, is that it doesn't help in the way that I'm guessing Hal wanted it to. But then what's even more interesting is a gift alongside the diary that Hal gifts Luke. And that is the celestial bronze dagger that the girl whose life he saved gifted to him, saying it would protect whoever wielded it. And we'll get onto that a little bit later when it becomes more significant. Now the sad part here is that Talia and Luke are able to escape with the use of Greek fire, with their intelligence, using Greek fire and its destructiveness to their advantage, but it comes at a cost. Hal's life. But he is grateful for it, he's able to beat his curse, he's able to finally be at rest. And hopefully they can see that in a way. We don't really kind of have that explored that much in terms of how Talia and Luke feel about Hal sacrificing himself but I'm hoping they feel better about it as a whole. But as they escape and come across an alleyway and get as far away from Hal's house as possible, they come across a (laughs) seven-year-old, hammer-wielding, blonde bombshell Annabeth, who basically nearly cracks in Luke's skull while wielding this incredible... Hammer, like, for a seven-year-old, firstly, how can she lift a hammer? That's my big question here. Because, I, like, I had no upper body skill as a child. Like, hammers are heavy. She's seven. Like, damn. But also the fact that she tried to take off Luke's head with a hammer I think is probably the greatest entrance for a character ever. And then him and Talia see the horror and fear with Annabeth who's clearly experienced some true horror things at such a young age. Now we don't actually know how old Annabeth was when she ran away from home I don't think we ever find out but it appears that she's been on the run from home for a while now and she's seven at this current point so maybe it's possible that she ran away at six which is horrifying to think about that. A six-year-old child, out on her own, chased and tortured by monsters, finally finds solace with these other two demigod kids, Talia and Luke, who take her in and promise to protect her, promise to be her family. And she accepts it. She melts into them because this is the first time she's had peace in a long time. And they take her back to their camp and then the story begins to come to an end with Luke on first watch at the camp while Talia and Annabeth rest. Oh, wait, hold on. I've skipped ahead. <laughs> oh my God. I was getting too excited to kind of come to to the end to talk about it overall. What Luke does is he begins to bond with Annabeth the moment they meet. And what he does is offer Annabeth... The dagger that Hal gave him basically saying I can tell that you're a wise person and only the swiftest and wisest can control and use a knife because I don't remember his words but basically it's like she she's a wise badass you know she she's going to be able to use a knife knives are the best weapon for someone who's swift and stealthy and he thinks that's going to be for Annabeth and she's like honored to be able to have this and be gifted this and yeah it's just that That's all that I missed, which was an important bit because I mentioned it earlier, but I completely forgot to mention it this time around because I'm a big dum-dum. Um, <laughs> but as we get to the end bit where Luke is on guard and he's writing in his diary, he's writing this story and he's re- reading through all Hal's past and understanding what needs to happen here. And these are his words, I promise Hal. I will learn from your mistakes. If the gods ever treat me that badly, I will fight back. Now that technically isn't the last bit because he's thinking about that whilst being with Annabeth, but that idea carries on and as he's writing in that diary. He's going to make a difference. He's gonna change. He's not gonna let himself be walked over by the gods. And considering what he turns into in Percy Jackson and who he becomes, and how he changes. It's no wonder that that was the thing that he took away from Hal's, that the experience of being with Hal, and the experience of seeing Annabeth so young and so scared that his image of the gods is tainted forever. And he knows that he's just gonna have to survive day to day until they can find safety. But he's going to, so he can protect Talia and Annabeth, and it's just it's just such a poignant moment and a poignant part of his story, and it just it fills in so many other blanks about him. And I'm really looking forward to getting onto the main bits of the story to see how his narrative here and how he as a character changes over these next few years from what does happen with him and Talia, what happens with him and Annabeth, and even understanding a little bit more about Annabeth in this case as well, as she is one of the big characters in the original story. But seeing Luke in the snow, and again, obviously, spoilers, Luke is the villain in our story. But seeing where he started, seeing what led to him becoming this person, and seeing that narrative and understanding him as a character seeing him outside of the villain scope and seeing what led to him being that person and becoming that person i think is incredibly important and so well done in the diary of luke castilian because we're seeing this different side of him firstly we're actually seeing something from his perspective before we're in percy jackson we're just seeing him from Percy's perspective. And Percy is completely biased against Luke. And as we saw with Greek heroes and Greek gods, Percy has a bias and it can really change your perspective. But that's the case with most people. Like, I will have a different interpretation of a person or a work or a film than someone else because they have a different opinion of it in general. They have a different experience with it. Like for me, like, Khorasami in Legend of Korra, I absolutely adored it. To this day, it makes me cry whenever I watch that episode. I remember the first time seeing it. But for other people, it's not their sort of thing. They didn't see anything with it because they didn't interpret it in that way. It's the same with Luke and our opinion of him. But this story... I just... Well done, Uncle Rick. This story kind of pinpoints the initial moment, like the first what's the word I want to use here the first mark on moments of Luke's list of this is too much and for everything that we learn after what happens with Talia what Hermes does what Luke experiences everything like that is just another notch on Luke's list no notches just what I want to use because that's used use for something else what is the word I want to use oh my goodness maybe checkbox is just another thing for him to check off of these are the things that the gods have done against me and my family and us demigods this is just another thing to tick off against them and this I think was one of the biggest ones this is what started off his checklist this experience with Hal and his punishment and this punishment against other demigods to prove to another demigod that what they did was wrong Like i just there's something about it that just seems wrong In, i know obviously people are dying of course it's wrong but hal's punishment is the definition of why the gods need to change and from what we get with the trials of apollo series we just see more of that happening and i am intrigued if we ever get a covering of of Hal's story in the Trials of Apollo, I, I doubt it because there's only one book left at the time that I'm recording, but it'd be interesting if that does come up in in relation to Luke as a as a person. But yeah, Hal's story is the is the beginning of the checklist, and everything that comes after this is just another confirmation that Luke needs to fight back against the gods, and like he says, he promises to protect his family. No matter what and that's how it ends and it's just oh it's just so well done the character that we get from these people like talia as a character in this is really really interesting like she's so different than from what we know of her in the percy jackson and heroes of olympus series she's so much more light-hearted in a way like she's still pretty chill in the percy jackson series but In this, she's so much more optimistic, and I think that's what's really quite sad is that we actually see this as the first time as well of her having her own checklist of things to no longer be optimistic about. And this is her optimism for a future as a demigod. And then, obviously, in Annabeth's case, we see the beginning of how her life really started. And this is something that I know that a lot of people talk about is that no one really understood why Annabeth had such what like what her problem was in a lot of the books like she's really defensive about Luke she's comes across really aggressive about certain things but seeing this and understanding that she was probably six years old when she ran away from home you kind of understand what that problem not even that she has she doesn't have a problem I may change my mind when we go further into this but at current this just shows that she is a traumatized child and in turn I don't obviously I don't know anything about psychology I don't know anything about child growth or anything like that but for a child to go through something like that at such a young age in their development it's no wonder that her way of seeing things is skewered to a specific perspective but I will not go further into the science stuff because firstly I failed science secondly I don't know what I'm talking about um, <laughs> There is no thirdly. I wanted to do a thirdly, but there is no thirdly because I don't know what I'm talking about. So let's just move on as a whole to the summary of today's episode of The Diary of Luke Castellian. And that is just the amount of foreshadowing and narrative, t- uh, kind of the beginning of a narrative for our villain and one of our side characters and one of our main characters as well, is truly fascinating. We get the prophecy for Talia, we see Luke's future, and we see Annabeth's connection to them both, which explains her her character in later books. And we see from Luke's perspective the wrath of the gods and begin to understand where his resentment comes from. Where this anger comes from and the empathy that most probably didn't have originally with Luke as a character in a sense begins here which is possibly going to change our perspective of who he is as a character in the later books but we'll see when we get to those chapters now okay (laughs) this is something that I'm it's new to introduce to the show I was meant to be doing it from the start but I forgot that I was meant to be doing it from the start so this is the first official part of an ending to an episode which I will hopefully be continuing on from here on out if I remember I'm sure I possibly maybe will but this is a sort of segmenty thing for you guys to get involved and it is called the question of the episode now, each of these questions are going to be related to the particular topic of, that, of the episode, of the chapters that we looked at, or the characters that we looked at in particular, and the main theme of that episode. And you guys can answer by sending me a message on our Instagram, or our Twitter, or on Tumblr, or even emailing us, and obviously, of course, all that information is in the episode notes. But today's question of the episode is... Would you say it's important to learn the backstories of characters? And if so, what should a backstory reveal about a character? Now the examples you can use are from Percy Jackson, they could be from another book series that you enjoy, or even maybe something you're writing yourself. Whatever the case Tell me about pack stories and what you feel is important about them, and anything you guys send me if you wish me to do so, I will read them out at the end of next week's episode, like for example, for me, I think it's it would be interesting to have the backstories of every character in a sense, well, not every character, but characters that have a significance to the story, like Sally Jackson, for example, I would love to get an idea of who she was before Poseidon or. Maybe even in her relationship with Poseidon or maybe just after her relationship with him. Just to kind of get an idea of who she was before all of this happened. Just so I think it'd be really interesting just to see a different side to Sally. But that's just my side. I just, I, I would enjoy to hear yours. Now, before I sign off... I need to give a few shoutouts to some brilliant supporters of this podcast who I am truly thankful and appreciative of because you guys have been great. First up are the two Percy Jackson Insta group chats I am in. The Damn Weirdos and Slep Now or Die. These guys have been big supporters and cheerleaders for this podcast and I am eternally grateful for them. And last but definitely not least, Chariton of Aphroditeus, I'm sorry if I've said that wrong, on Tumblr, who actually reviewed my first episode, Percy Jackson and the Greek Gods, on their Tumblr blog and aim to continue to review my series. Um, Honestly, I was so utterly touched by them doing that and kind of just honoured that they would want to do something like that and their analysis and study was just fantastic and i'll link um to their review and any others that have have come out since since my recording of this um in the episode notes also um but yeah so just to Chariton, thank you so much To sign off now, I'm sure you guys are grateful for it. I want to thank you all for joining me today for the story of Luke Castilian. Be sure to join me next Wednesday as we begin, finally, I'm sure for you guys, with our main dude, Percy, in Percy Jackson and the Lightning Thief. Now to plug where you can find our podcast, because I have also forgotten to do that in the past, we are available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, where you can leave a rating and a review. Please and thank you. Uh, Stitcher, Deezer and Audio Boom. In the meantime, however, between episodes you can find the Best Damn Camp on various social media at best damn camp pod on Instagram and Twitter and on Tumblr at the if you want to email me with your own thoughts, or you want to chat or anything like that, or you want to get involved in the question of the episode, you can email at hotmail.com and if you want me to, I will read it out at the end of the show. Again, thank you guys for tuning in. As always, I've been Fran, your very own Hunter, and I will see slash speak to you guys next time. Bye.